How's it going, everybody? Welcome to episode 48 of the Easy Peasy Podcast. You know, Christmas is almost here, and I wanted to give a little bit of a different take on holiday cheer. You know, I am a big fan of a, of a certain comedian named George Carlin. And if you're familiar, you, you know why. You know, George Carlin was very, very critical. He was very thoughtful. He was quite a philosopher, if you ask me. But the amazing thing about his presentation of his philosophy is that he was able to make people laugh, which is a great, great skill. And George Carlin, he he talked about things that pissed him off. He did not hesitate to discuss very intense subject matter. And he would present it in a way that most people weren't weren't really used to hearing. You know, he was a bit nihilistic. He was you know, he famously talked about how he had to give up caring about the future of humanity. He had to give up the idea of, you know, even, even rooting for a positive outcome. He said by, by choosing not to care, it gave him the ability, the freedom to observe and to, and to analyze and to to see the absurdity of reality, right? Whatever the nature of reality, you know, we still have to make sense of it while we're in it. You know, some people some people don't seem to need to find truth. They're content with the lies that that exist around them, but I think that's what separates NPCs from players in a nutshell and you know George Carlin was no NPC he made his way through life by his own willpower by his own choices by his own observations you know he criticized the world around him in a very profound way and he I'm not going to say he always had it figured out, you know, that it, his points were always perfect or anything like that. Just like I'm not going to claim mine are. You know, I've, I've really gotten kind of exhausted talking about certain, you know, current events. Specifically the, what I see as the rise of totalitarianism. It's, 
it's kind of an exhausting, daunting thing to try to fight. So I'm trying to take a lesson from George Carlin and, you know, not even fight it, but just observe it and recognize that the only thing I can do is choose my response, choose my reaction. You know, this is the stoic philosophy. Do we get angry or do we make fun of it? You know, George Carlin, I think he was an angry guy. And despite saying that he chooses not to care, I think he did care immensely. And he just employed this, this, this tool of selective apathy, you know, as a, as a means of, of tolerating what pissed him off so that he could laugh at it. But it doesn't mean he didn't get pissed off. You know, my point in sharing all this is to, in some ways, try to state my goal of not taking this shit too damn seriously. Now, that's easier said than done because I care and because this shit is serious, you know? The struggle between centralized power and control and the freedom of the individual is no small matter. You know, words like liberty and freedom can feel sort of contrived and, 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 you know, cliche. But I believe we're living at a time where these struggles do matter. You know, and we, we have to choose our strategy of how to respond. And I believe a certain amount of, you know, this kind of apathy, or at the very least, you know, stoicism is almost essential. You know, it's, it's funny to associate stoicism with, with George Carlin because... You know, he's very, um, he's very emotional. You know, he's very easy to get himself worked up. Kind of like me, but you can tell he tries to reflect on his reaction in a way that brings sense to it. You know, I, 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 I think George Carlin was sort of instinctually stoic even if on the surface it doesn't appear that way so what I've done here is I've put together a series of clips a little bit of a montage a medley of some of George Carlin's wisdom okay now, some of it is from his stand-up. Some of it is from interviews. You know, I think I've got about 30, 35 minutes worth. I'll just say, you know, I try with this show to be very careful about how I present my opinions. You know, recognizing that oftentimes I am working with limited data you know and if you've listened carefully i hope you know that when i when i talk about 
issues like mandates, you know, passports, the restrictions to our freedom. You know, I I hope it is abundantly clear that I am talking about those issues alone. You know, at no point do I want to insinuate that I know what's best for you medically, you know, spiritually, psychologically, you know, I am just presenting my my perspective, right? And I felt the need to throw this qualifier in there because you know, I I don't want this show to be nothing but controversy, right? Like it bums me out that to talk about liberty is a is a controversial topic. But it is. Which is why frankly I've I've hesitated to put out a show lately. You know, because I'm kind of getting exhausted by being controversial. And maybe that's my own fault. Maybe I've treaded on ground I shouldn't have treaded on. You know, maybe I've tried too hard to to try to learn and to, to try to make sense of this stuff. You know, perhaps I should have given up a while ago. You know, on 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 knowing for sure about anything. You know, maybe I should have just taken a taken a backseat position, you know, be, been a fly on the wall. You know, being a commentator, you know, speaking one's opinion, one's beliefs, it's it's a bit of a of a task. You know, and I think George did it so damn well that I'm taking notes from him. You know, he had a long career of speaking his mind. And I think the only way he could do that was to was to actually be quite careful with his words. It seems counterintuitive because of his employment of foul language and his you know his presentation it often comes across as being a bit improvisational but I can tell I can tell that he had crafted those words in such a way as to say what he meant you know and leave nothing to be misinterpreted so I I'm trying to do that here right you know, I'm not trying to be an anti-anything show. I'm trying to be pro. I'm trying to be positive. And I hope that comes across, even if not always you know, perfectly. So enough of that. Enough of me. I give you the late, the great George Carlin. Because you do know, folks, living in this country, you're bound to know that Every time you're exposed to advertising, you realize once again that America's leading industry, America's most profitable business, is still the manufacture, packaging, distribution, and marketing of bullshit. High quality, grade A, prime cut, 
pure American bullshit. There was a long piece in there called The Planet is Fine, The People are Fucked. We'll be gone. Dinosaurs had their chance. There was an age of reptiles. Now it's the age of primates. And who knows? Maybe it'll be the insects next. It's not up to us. It's not divinely ordained. We're here on chance. So I have solved this little political dilemma for myself in a very simple way. On election day, I stay home. I don't vote. Fuck them. Fuck them. I don't vote. Two reasons. Two reasons I don't vote. First of all, it's meaningless. This country was bought and sold and paid for a long time ago. The shit they shuffle around every four years doesn't mean a fucking thing. And secondly, I don't vote because I believe if you vote, you have no right to complain. So I know that a little later on this year, you're going to have another one of those really swell presidential elections that you like so much. You'll enjoy yourselves. It'll be a lot of fun. I'm sure as soon as the election is over, your country will approve immediately. As for me, I'll be home on that day doing essentially the same thing as you. The only difference is, when I get finished masturbating, I'm going to have a little something to show for it, folks. I don't really, honestly, deep down believe in political action. I think the system contracts and expands as it wants to. It accommodates these changes. I think the civil rights movement was an accommodation on the part of the, those who own the country. I think they see where their self-interest lies. They see a certain amount of freedom seems good, an illusion of liberty. Give these people, give these people a voting day every year so that they'll have the illusion of meaningless choice. Meaningless choice that we go like slaves and say, yo, I voted. They, the limits of debate in this country are, 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 are established before the debate even begins. And everyone else is marginalized. They're made to seem either to be communists or some sort of disloyal person. A kook, there's a word. And now it's conspiracy. See, they've made that something that, that, is, that is, uh, should, should not be even entertained for a minute that powerful people might get together and have a plan. Doesn't happen. You're a kook. You're a conspiracy buff. So who, you know, the only way you cure that, death, bloodshed. I don't advocate it, but I see that it's really the only We average a major war every 20 years in this country, so we're good at it. And it's a good thing we are. We're not very good at anything else anymore. Can't build a decent car, can't make a TV set or a VCR worth the fuck. Got no steel industry left, can't educate our young people, can't get health care to our old people, but we can bomb the shit out of your country, all right? Huh? Well, when's the last white people you can remember that we bombed? Can you remember the last white, can you remember any white people we've ever bombed? The Germans, those are the only ones, and that's only because they were trying to cut in on our action. They wanted to dominate the world. Bullshit, that's our fucking job. Hey, and the planet will heal. The planet will heal because that's what it does. It heals itself. It's a self-healing organism. It changes and grows. It'll incorporate all of our dead cities into itself and it will become something else, but it will still be going around the sun for at least a few more billion years or whatever. So we're, this whole thing, we have to save the planet by not putting diapers in the landfill. That's, that's too short-sighted. It doesn't do anything. You have to change yourself. And we'll never do that because the dollars now, it's everybody wants a dollar and a toy. Everybody's got a cell phone that'll make pancakes and rub their balls so they don't, they, nobody wants to rock the boat. Nobody wants to change. Don't change anything. And we're, we're in a nice downward glide. Take a fucking chance, bunch of goddamn pussies. Besides, what do you think you have an immune system for? It's for killing germs. But it needs practice. It needs germs to practice on. So, 
So listen. So listen. If you kill all the germs around you and live a completely sterile life, then when germs do come along, you're not going to be prepared. And never mind ordinary germs. What are you going to do when some super virus comes along that turns your vital organs into liquid shit? I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to get sick, you're going to die, and you're going to deserve it because you're fucking weak and you got a fucking weak immune system. I think we squandered a great gifts. I think humans were given great, great gifts. Walking upright, binocular vision, opposable thumb, large brain, making tools. Make tools, large brain, large brain, make better tools. Talk, have to link language, you take this, put in here. We learned language, the brain got bigger, language. We grew, we had great gifts. We gave it up to the high priests. It's your job, it's a, God's will. That's what they say, people say, it's God's will. That means God can do anything he wants, so why pray? They say, you pray for something. Okay, my, he didn't answer my prayers. Well, it's God's will. Well, if it's God's will, why did I even pray in the first place? He's gonna do what he wants anyway. We gave it all up to superstition, primitive superstition, primitive shit, primitive shit. There's an invisible man in the sky looking down, keeping track of what we do, make sure we don't do the wrong thing. If we do, he puts us in hell and we burn forever. That kind of shit is very limiting. It's very limiting for this brain we have. So we keep ourselves limited, and then we want a toy and a gizmo and gold, and we want shiny things, and we want something to plug in that'll make big, big, big things for us. And, 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 and all that shit is nothing. So, when my white blood cells are on patrol, reconnoitering my bloodstream, seeking out strangers and other undesirables, if they see any, any suspicious-looking germs of any kind, they don't fuck around. They whip out the waxing weapons, they wax the motherfucker, and deposit the unlucky fellow directly into my colon. And speaking of my colon, I want you to know I don't automatically wash my hands every time I go to the bathroom, okay? Can you deal with that? Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. You know when I wash my hands? When I shit on them. That's the only time. That's the only... And you know how often that happens? Tops, tops, two, three times a week. Tops, tops. Maybe a little more frequently over the holidays, you know what I mean? It's nothing. We gave it all up. And Americans, who also had great gifts, when you take the theory of de democratic rule, self-government, okay, they, did, they started off wrong. They owned slaves. They didn't let women vote. They didn't let people who didn't own land vote. Fine. They got off on the wrong foot. But the ideas were good. But we fucking blew that. We polluted it. We polluted it with this stuff, things, material goods, games, gizmos, toys, gadgets, Having possessions, oh, he's got a bigger truck. He says she is truck. It's bigger than mine. I'm getting a new truck. Get, here's a big truck. Oh, I'm getting that one. That's what you got a video in it. You DVD too. He don't have a DVD. I got a DVD. You know. Oh, please. Whatever happened, and all of that is what happened. You know. And that's why I'm divorced from it now. I see it from a distance. I give myself a divorce. I said, George, emotionally you have no stake in this. You don't care one way or another. So watch it. Have fun. You know what? I say it this way. When you're born in this world, you're given a ticket to the freak show. And when you're born in America, you're given a front row seat. <laughs> and some of us get to sit there with notebooks. And I'm a notebook guy. Oh. That's all you got. 
That's all you've got here, folks. Mile after mile of mall after mall. Many, many malls. Major malls and mini malls. They put the mini malls in between the major malls. And in between the mini malls, they put the mini marts. And in between the mini marts, you got the car lots, gas stations, muffler shops, laundromats, cheap hotels, fast food joints, strip clubs, and dirty bookstores. America the Beautiful, one big transcontinental commercial cesspool. And how do the people feel about all this? How do the people feel about living in a coast-to-coast -coast shopping mall? Well, they think it's just fucking dandy. They think it is cool as can be, because Americans love the mall. They love the mall. That's where they get to satisfy their two most prominent addictions at the same time, shopping and eating. And I watch the freak show. And I get my notes, and I make up stuff about it, and I talk about the freaks. And the freaks are all humans, and they're like me, and they're all the same. We're all the same. I'm not better. I'm not different. I'm just apart now. I'm separate. I'm over here because I put myself out of the mix. I don't have a stake in the outcome. I'm not a cheerleader for a given outcome now. Oh, they say if you scratch a cynic, you'll find a disappointed idealist. And I would admit that somewhere underneath all of this, there's a little flicker of a flame of idealism that would love to see it all change but it can't do it can't happen that way and incremental change it just seems like the pile of shit is too deep americans love to eat they are they are fatally attracted to the slow death of fast food hot dogs corn dogs triple bacon cheeseburgers deep fried butter dipping pork fat and cheese whiz mayonnaise soaked barbecue mozzarella patty melts america will eat anything 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 if you were selling sauteed raccoons assholes on a stick Americans would buy them and eat them, especially if you dipped them in butter and put a little salsa on them. These people, these people are efficient, professional, compulsive consumers. It's their civic duty, consumption. It's the new national pastime. Fuck baseball. It's consumption. The only true, lasting American value that's left, buying things. Buying things. People spending money they don't have on things they don't need. Money they don't have on things they don't need. So they can max out their credit cards and spend the rest of their lives paying 18% interest on something that costs $12.50. And they didn't like it when they got it home anyway. Through all the years of listening to your albums and things, your fascination with language mm. is so apparent. Watching you work is, is almost like watching a musician. You know, the way you, you weave words and use language for emphasis and, and all that. Was that always a fascination for you, even as a kid? Well... Well, uh, to, to go backwards with the question, don't forget what we do is oratory. It's rhetoric. It's not just comedy. It's a form of rhetoric. And, and with rhetoric, you, you, look and, you listen for rhythms. You, you look for ways to sing at the same time you're talking. And to go... And it's just natural. Not too bright, folks. Not too fucking bright. But if you talk to one of them about this, if you isolate one of them, you sit them down rationally, and you talk to them about the low IQs and the dumb behavior and the bad decisions, right away they start talking about education. That's the big answer to everything. Education. Education. Politicians know that word. They use it on you. Politicians have traditionally hidden behind three things. The flag, the Bible, and children. No child left behind. No child left behind. Oh, really? Well, it wasn't long ago you were talking about giving kids a head start. Head start, left behind, someone's losing fucking ground here. Um, my grandfather, whom I never knew, uh, was a policeman in New York at the turn of the century, and he was an uneducated man, self-educated. And he, in the course of his adult life, he wrote out the, the works of Shakespeare by hand because of the joy it gave him. That's an obsessive young man. 
Yeah, and 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 and, and most everything is genetic. And and my mother cared a lot about language. And my father was a champion public speaker of 1935. He won the mahogany gavel. Uh, over 800 other public speakers from the Dale Carnegie Public Speaking Institute. And uh, he was he was great. I never knew him either. But there's a reason. There's a reason. There's a reason for this. There's a reason education sucks. And it's the same reason that will never, ever, ever be fixed. It's never going to get any better. Don't look for it. Be happy with what you got. Because the owners of this country don't want that. I'm talking about the real owners now. Were your parents put off by the direction that you went into when they, you started to go counterculture? Was it a difficult transition for them to watch? Well, he was out of the picture. He, uh, he was brilliant, and he was a top salesman in advertising, but he couldn't metabolize ethanol <laughs> efficiently. So he was given his hat. My mother was very brave. She left, she left him. I was two months old, and my brother was five, five years, and she left down a fire escape. So he was gone. She, my mother, was very kind of controlling, wanted to control my life, and was, was heartbroken when I began with the dirty language and the awful stuff he says about business. She was, a, she was an advertising executive secretary, loved the business world, thought it was just the finest thing that ever happened. And so when I went in that direction at first, very opposed, until one day we lived on the same street that I grew up, uh, that I went to school in. I went to school on the same block I lived on, something like that. Corpus Christi school and the nuns were great. It wasn't a typical Catholic school. It was a, an experimental progressive school that didn't have grades, didn't have any sort of corporal punishment. It was just very, very wonderful school. And the nuns, she would see the nuns in the street and they would say, oh, we saw, we saw George on, uh, on the Tonight Show. And she, being a bit of an actress, she would say, oh, it's the awful language, sister. The awful language. And one of them said to her, no, 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 you don't understand. He's using it for other purposes. He's not just doing it for that. It's kind of like part of what he does. Don't you understand it's this and that and so forth? So she said, oh, well, oh. And from that day on, she was okay with it because the church had approved it. <laughs> so that was that. And you know something? They'll get it. They'll get it all from you sooner or later because they own this fucking place. It's a big club, and you ain't in it. You and I are not in the big club. By the way, it's the same big club they used to beat you over the head with all day long when they tell you what to believe. All day long, beating you over the head in their media, telling you what to believe, what to think, and what to buy. But some of the people who, who had so much edgy promise, they died young. I mean, Lenny Bruce, uh, Sam Kinison, Andy Kaufman in his way, sure. Freddie Prinz, John Belushi, Bill Hicks. Right. And it's just... I don't know, of course, Bill had a natural disorder of his own, I think so did Andy, but, but it's not always behavior, but sometimes it's just genetic. But um, it, it's just that uh, I think there's a degree of luck and, and intellect involved in giving up things that hurt you. The, the drug and alcohol thing, it seems to me, comes down to this. Drugs and these things are, are wonderful. They're wonderful when you try them first. They're not around for all these millennia for no reason. First time, mostly pleasure, very little pain maybe a hangover. And as you increase and keep using whatever it is, the pleasure part decreases and the pain part, the price you pay, increases until the balance is completely the other way and it's almost all pain and there's hardly any pleasure. At that point, you would hope, then the intellect says, oh, 
oh, this doesn't work anymore. I'm going to die, and I'll do something. But you need people around you who can help you, and you need something to live for. You have to have something to look forward to to bring you out of it. You have to sort of, like, I find when, like with pot, I'm not a big drug user anymore, but I have always a joint somewhere near me. <laughs> might be hidden might be hidden and what I do and I, and I hardly touch it maybe once a month that would be frequent for me but when I'm writing something and I write perfectly straight perfectly sober and I write a whole lot of stuff six, seven, eight, nine pages and I really pour it out the next day one hit is all I need now one hit and it's punch up time <laughs> Time to get this thing going. <laughs> and you do find, with that sort of judicious use, I find there's some value in it. But, but most of the things we use, don't let you leave them alone. They don't. Pot does. Thank goodness for that. Well, that's excellent. What? Sorry. You're do you feel your place in comedy now? Do you feel the, you know, because we've been spending a lot of time at the festival and everybody that I would mention, you know, hey, I'm going to do this uh, George Carlin tribute and their, their faces light up and, and to a person, really, Carlin? And can I meet him? Is he around? Do you, do you feel that place? Is that in, well, you know? I, that is growing on me. I think, you know, longevity is a wonderful thing. They, sometimes you get applause just for not being dead when you say, <laughs> when you say I'm going to be 60, they applaud that. Wonderful, <laughs> not dead, 60. Uh, so, but, but I'm, I'm getting a sense of it. You know, when you're in planes three days a week, I go out every Friday, I come home every Monday. It's three different cities, three different nights, airports, hotel lobbies, and people are wonderful. People, I love individuals. I hate groups of people. I hate people who have, a group of people with a common purpose. Because pretty soon they have little hats, you know, and armbands and fight songs and a list of people they're going to visit at 3 a.m. So I, I dislike and despise groups of people, but I love individuals. Every person you look at, you can see the universe in their eyes if you're really looking. And they're great. And so cumulatively, I have gotten the feeling that I'm in this big family, a family life I never had, by the way, this, so to say, extended family of people who feel like you're their cousin, you know. I say, George, he's 1961, I saw you. Hey, remember them? Yeah. Oh, and you know what you said? And I say, did I? Oh, yeah. So it's, you know, it's just great. And, and so cumulatively, you say, well, I guess I'm in the family. I guess it's okay. Yeah. yeah. Do you think, does it boil down? <laughs> After 10 HBO hours after a multitude of, of best-selling albums, after Grammy nominations, after Emmy nominations, after Cable Ace awards. Does it all boil down to what you had said originally, that it's about, hey, dig me? And that's hey, saying, look at me, ain't I cute? That's it's all, it's just a job is called showing off. And if you can get them to not only stop and listen, but say, isn't he cute? He's real, you're cute. If you can get the approval. See, I, in our school, we didn't have grades, so we didn't have A's, B's, and C's, and D's. The only A's I got, and this is a little corny, I got their attention, I got their approval, their admiration, their approbation, and their applause. And those were the only A's I wanted, and I got them. You certainly have mine, so. During the break, and I was saying that you're, you're one of the few people in the world that I think everybody will um, 
hear the truth from. I mean, well, just, I just George Carlin's my, truth. My version of it. Your version, but we want to hear it. We want to hear it. But, you know, uh, one of the things... We that, wanted to hear it for 35 years, man. How awesome is that? That's pretty cool. It's pretty good. awesome well, one, that you've given us One that. thing that I don't understand is uh, audiences will let me off. Like, if I'm attacking Christians or if I'm attacking white people, I have a whole long thing attacking white people in this new show, and, and, and people will sit in the audience, and it's more or less this. It's, oh, he doesn't mean us, honey. He's talking about the other white people. They all, actually, they're letting themselves off the hook is what it is. But they kind of, they'll accept certain things. I don't think they're letting themselves off the hook. I think they're listening. Yeah. Or, and I think they're just I, accepting what you say. We all think the same way. I mean, sooner or later, yeah. we have to. Mm -hmm. We're all then scared. Then you like the way she looks at the guest. I was telling her, she goes like this. She says, you what do you think? What do you wear a size? Seven and a half? Eight and a half? It's just really penetrating. I like that. You're yeah. 61 years old. That's right. And you had two heart attacks. I had three. I had a minor one, and then I had a couple of nice ones, really nice. Really <laughs> nice. Yeah, the well, kind that make you pay attention. Well, what have you what have you learned about mortality and life? And I mean, like in a three three minute three I've, second. I've thing. learned that personally, on my, in my case, I'm very lucky because uh, I get symptoms and I know what to do about them. I'm not one of these moron men who say, oh, "A little gas, honey. Let's keep driving." <laughs> Uh, I go, I go, and I say, it hurts, and they say, lie down, take this, and, and it's on its way. But a lot of people don't get symptoms at all. They don't even feel it. They get these silent heart attacks. What do I know about mortality? Um, nothing, except that I have it. I will die, but not for a long time. I think I'll be 94. My Uncle Martin was doing push-ups on the linoleum floor in the kitchen at my house when he was 94, so that's my aim. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, thank you. Heart attacks, and I know you lost your wife too. Yeah, a couple of years ago now. And and, and all that that didn't that didn't move you to a. If it did, place. I if if it did, I didn't notice it. You know, I, I just kind of, I'm very very focused, and and I don't notice those kind of they're peripheral. I'm sure the effect is there somewhere. You know, if I were to sit down for a half an hour and think about it and talk to someone about it, but offhand uh, I don't know. Well, Except how about this? Let me let me. Live a little smart. I stopped all the cocaine. That was good. That was real good. Stopped all that. But you say you're doing your best writing now, so yeah. maybe that has something to do with it. The heart attacks? Well, maybe you're, like, looking mortality in the face had yeah. moved you to a, maybe, a higher maybe, place. Maybe. It, it sure made me see myself as, a, you know, as, as a person that had a certain limited amount of time, and I wanted to do the best things I could with my work before uh, I didn't get to do it anymore. What the hell's wrong with us? And that's my last question to you, mister. Look at what they do with these kids now. They're teaching them French while they're still in the womb. And they're trying to t get a kid into a college be before he's figured out which side of the playpen smells the worst. These kids are all scheduled all day, even to play. They have play dates. Play date, these right. kids are scheduled. Right. I say you need an hour every day for daydreaming. A kid should have a mandatory hour. You turn off everything electronic. You open the window. If it's nice out, if it's not, you can leave the window closed. And you look out the window, and you just think and daydream and look at the clouds and wonder about stuff. One hour every day would be the best thing these people could do for their kids. But no, they got to go to horseback, and then to Little League, and then to Cub Scouts, and then to swimming, and then to whatever there is, you know, these things. All nine things. It's, it's really, I think it's... Not very, I, think I, I loved my unstructured time, and I turned out fine. In the last seven to eight years, I began to develop a different comic voice and a, and a different perspective. Um... You know, comedy, stand-up comedy is a low art. It's it's a vulgar art. It's an art of the people. It's not but it's an art. But it is an art. It's, it, it has to do with interpreting the world as you see it and then writing something and then delivering it verbally. Uh, and I found a very liberating position for myself as an artist. And that was 
I sort of gave up on the human race and gave up on the American dream and culture and nation yeah. and decided that I didn't care about the outcome. And that gave me a lot of freedom from a kind of distant platform to be sort of the amused, uh, a, a kind of, uh, to watch the whole thing with a combination of wonder and pity and try to put that into yeah. words. Not caring about the outcome, what right. do you mean by that? Not having an emotional stake in whether this experiment with human beings works. I really don't care. Uh, I love people as I meet them one by one. People are, the, are just wonderful as individuals. You see the whole universe in their eyes if you look carefully. But as soon as they begin to group, as soon as they begin to clock, when there are five of them or ten, or even groups as small as two, they begin to change. They sacrifice the beauty of the individual for the sake of the group. I decided it was all under the control of groups now, whether it's business, religion, political people or what, and I would distance myself from wishing for a good outcome. Let it do what it's going to do, and I'll enjoy it as an entertainment. And I'll reflect on what it is on its own. And I'll enjoy it for the entertainment. There's a little bit of a sick part in this, too. Yeah. I root for the big comet. I root for the big asteroid to come and make things right. That's the way I put it. Stir things up. Yes, to get us back where we were before the first one came and knocked out these dinosaurs and yeah. let the ferrets we're grow. We're talking about comets on this show tonight. I know. Uh, and I'm, I'm rooting for that big one to come right through that hole in the ozone layer because I want to see it on CNN. See, I'm here for the entertainment, Charlie. I am. People, these philosophers say, why are we here? I know I am here. For the entertainment. For show. Bring it on. I want to see the circus. Yeah. But so, how does this affect your performance and what you bring to stand-up? Well, well, I've seen a lot of comedians, we've all seen a lot of comedians who seem to have a political bent in their work. And always implicit in the work is, is some positive outcome, that this is all going to work. If only we do this, if only we pass that bill, if only we elect him, if only we do that. It's not true. It's, it's circling the drain time for, the, for humans. I believe this. I honestly believe this. Not just as a comedian, he thinks that. He likes to say that. I believe it. And when you say to yourself, I don't care what happens, it just gives you a broader perspective for the art, for the words to, to emerge to not care. That's what happened in that 92 show. That's why I could say the planet is fine, the people are because the planet will outlast us. It will be here and it will be fine. One thing I do, it's called thinking. And I'm not a very good American because I like to form my own opinions. I don't just roll over when I'm told to. Sad to say most Americans just roll over on command. Not me. I have certain rules I live by. My first rule, I don't believe anything the government tells me. Nothing. Zero. Nope. Then you have the media. Not just the news media, let's include them all. The media are almost literally exploding with bullshit. Because they're located right at the crossroads of all the other bullshit. The media are made up of equal parts, advertising, Politics, business, public relations, and show business. These people are sitting right at bullshit junction. There's enough bullshit in the media for Texas to open a branch office. And you still have enough left over to start two law firms and a Christian bookstore. Because it's just one more way of reducing your liberty and reminding you that they can fuck with you anytime they want. As long as you put up with it. As long as you put up with it. Which means, of course, any time they want. 
Because that's what Americans do now. They're always willing to trade away a little of their freedom in exchange for the feeling, the illusion of security. What we have now is a completely neurotic population obsessed with security and safety and crime and drugs and cleanliness and hygiene and germs. Let me tell you a true story about immunization, okay? When I was a little boy in New York City in the 1940s, we swam in the Hudson River and it was filled with raw silk. Okay? We swam in raw sewage, you know, to cool off. And at that time, the big fear was polio. Thousands of kids died from polio every year. But you know something? In my neighborhood, no one ever got polio. No one ever. You know why? Because we swam in raw sewage. It strengthened our immune systems. The polio never had a prayer. We were tempered in raw shit. So, so personally, I never take any special precautions against germs. I don't shy away from people who sneeze and cough. I don't wipe off the telephone. I don't cover the toilet seat. And if I drop food on the floor, I pick it up and eat it. I eat it. Yes, I do. Even if I'm at a sidewalk cafe in Calcutta, the poor section, on New Year's morning during a soccer riot, has the subject matter changed? Well, I, I, you know, you're still stuck with what's going on. But I, I don't like topical. I don't like political humor. I, I don't mention politicians. In fact, I defend them in this particular show. Uh, everyone is on there. Everyone is always making things. I, I defend them and blame it on the people. This is where it belongs. You get like what I, you deserve. Yes, you get what you deserve, and you deserve what you get. And I have a slogan, the public sucks. And it works nicely, and people accept it. Not, not, not very enthusiastically, but they understand that it says we the people in that preamble. It doesn't say them the this is and those the that yeah, it, it says, hey, we got on this. Book. And people who hate government are involved in a, in a form of suicide because government is self-government. And if you hate the government, you, you hate, hate yourself. yourself. Yeah. It's the same with the war against nature that, that mankind goes through. So I just said to myself, it's not going to get better, not in my lifetime. Let me enjoy this and get a little perverse about my, my commentary on it. I, I, I always yeah, perverse me, though. Well, to, to look for where the people think the line is. The people have values that these things, these, these amorphous things they call values yeah. that they bring to, to, the, to the seat in the theater when they sit down. Yeah. And I like to find out where their line may be and deliberately cross it, disturb them a little, make them uncomfortable, yeah. and then make them, and then bring them with me across the line and make yeah. them glad they came. That's what I do. I'm an entertainer. I'm not a doomsayer. I'm not here to preach. I don't do political tracts. But I do entertain. I do a lot of jokes. But I want you to feel a little in danger along the way. Because the owners of this country know the truth. It's called the American dream. Because you have to be asleep to believe it. So there you go, folks. A very Carlin Christmas. As I said, his whole vibe, I just connect with it so much right now. You know, he's kind of like America's grumpy uncle, right? There's one of them at every family event, or at least I hope there is, right? That one family member that says what they shouldn't say, you know, crosses the line a little bit, says something a little bit inappropriate, you know, it's 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 almost uh, essential, right? Having that one person in the conversation 
that's willing to make people a little bit uncomfortable. You know, you hope that that person is as thoughtful and as intelligent as as George Carlin was, but that's not necessarily always the case. And, you know, we don't always have to take the conversation to that place. In fact, I'd, I'd almost say let, let George Carlin, you know, do it for you, right? We can... We can listen to his words and kind of get this this cathartic experience. You know, he says it so we don't have to, right? I think I think maybe that's what George Carlin's purpose was to say what other people won't, and to say it in a way where. You can't ignore it because he's making you laugh and he's and he's making a point at the same time. So with that, I want to wish you a genuinely Merry Christmas. I hope you can enjoy some time with the family without things getting too controversial. You know, with everything that's been going on, I hope we can all just settle down and start coming back to a middle ground. You know, these conversations are important, though. So I think we got to have room at the table for the crazy uncle. Crazy Uncle Carlin. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening. Talk to you later. This has been Mike the Polymath with the Easy Peasy Podcast. Come back again.